I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact in association with The Telegraph. I'm Brian Moore and joining the show today are the former Bath fullback Matt Perry, former Leinster prop Mike Ross, Nigel Owens is here to answer your questions on rugby's laws, plus Wasps ladies coach Giselle Mather updates us on how the Premier 15s are going. But first, I'm joined here in the studio by the former England and Gloucester winger James Simpson Daniel. Hello James, how are you? Brian, very good and you? Good man. What do you think of the uh, the weekend's actions? A, f- a couple of shocks, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, let's talk about my old side first and foremost, if we can. I think they, you know, they did everything they could to to lose that game in the end. For for about seventy minutes, they were very good, and then um, and then yeah, there was a little bit of the old Gloucester of trying to run it from deep, probably from too deep. Uh, and equally not taking the three points when available to make it a seven point gap. What about that? Because I mean, I'm a, very firmly of the view that you should take the points on offer almost always because of scoreboard pressure. Now, it would only have made seven points difference, so a try, but it would have to be a converted try, and that's the point. You, know, you couldn't score it in the corner mm. and be sure of that. Um, and do it, is it solely down to the captain? Does anyone else have a, an input into these things, or does it depend on the team, I suppose? Well, it can depend on the team. I think it does depend on the captain. You know, you back your, your captain's decisions. Um, I do feel in that instance, there should be a couple of leaders that say, come on, you know, let's pause for a second. Let's make it a seven-point game. Worst that can happen, we get a draw, basically. I think the work, what had happened there is they got three tries already. Um, they were going for the bonus point try. And I think that... On their own 22? Uh, well, I, <laughs> I was more meaning the corner. When they kicked the oh, yeah, corner, yeah. you know, I think when they had that option, they were going for the bonus point try. But I, I totally agree with you. It's almost like, let's get out of your, your back three, your back third. If they want to run it from deep, then you might get a penalty. Mm. Then you make the decision whether you're going to kick the corner or, or try and um, uh, or take the three points. I just feel they should have taken the three. And looking at it after, it was very clear. You know, it's almost forget the penalty try aside. Take that out of it. It's more a case of don't put yourself in that position in the first place. Yeah. And I mean, it was an important uh, win for Northampton. Uh, I don't think we should overplay this. It was a performance which was, you know, stirred on by a crowd which were desperate, Mm. you know, for a win. But, uh, you know, as we said, against a more hard headed side, they might have come up short again, even with all that emotion. So, from my point of view, Northampton still got big problems. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think you're right. You take your four points when you can get them now, and I think that's that's very clear. 
Um, you know, the, to get wins in the Premiership aren't easy, and I think Northampton got a big four pointer there, which which they had to which they had to get. Um, I do feel there's a long way to go still for Northampton. They're clearly struggling. Um, you know, if that was against the Saris, you have a feeling that that you know that was probably going to be another loss for them. But but you got to give them credit. They've got a key for they've got that key win which they were after, and they'll be you know they'll be looking to grow the, their game moving forwards. Well, you mentioned Saris, um, very convincing winners over Wasps, uh, possibly surprising given their recent run of form. But of course, when you have uh, the return of Billy Vanapola, whatever he contributes on the field psychologically is going to be a huge thing. And I, I tell you what, I, Alex Good, I've mm. always thought as a very intelligent footballer, not the mo- most robust player, <clears throat> but hugely influential in terms of talking and in the way that he involves you know, he's, he's, he's two wingers, mm. uh, much more so, may say, than, than Mike Brown. Um, and I just can't understand why he doesn't seem to be anywhere near the England squad. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. He's not this stereotypical strike running fullback, is he? he? For me, he almost plays like a fly half at fullback. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very comfortable with ball in hand. You'll see him slotting in at first receiver. He dances, he, he moves around more like a fly half from the back if that makes sense well you say he's not a strike runner he's not a strike runner in the sense that he's got blistering pace or like whatever, a Watson yeah. or, or a big yeah. physical presence <clears> but <throat> his intelligence he makes the most of gaps he makes the most he you know exploits uh, the running lines and he puts mm. players away so you know that to me is a you know is a, is a, is a, a fullback or a player you know who, who does have that sort of skill yeah, exactly, and that'd be it'd be really interesting when we when we speak to Matt Perry and you know in a few Ooh. minutes' time to see what he thinks because he wouldn't be you wouldn't be comparing him to someone like Perry the way that Perry played the game, but because he's almost like your stereotypical orthodox type of fullback type of way of playing. Um, but I must admit, if I was playing outside Alex Good, you're going to get the ball in space because he's really good at finding that for you. So as a winger, you're going to really enjoy your time outside him. But mm. um, but I must admit. Why couldn't you have him in and around the squad? He could almost be covering 10 if you needed as a third choice. Uh, and he can also slot in at first receive when you need him. Well, I mean, I think you're probably an example. Sometimes players, for whatever reason, don't seem to be um, in <clears throat> a, a particular coach's um, good books. Mm. Um, and there's always a reason you, to not pick someone. Yeah. Because you can pick on what they can't do. Um, I, 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 this is one where I just don't understand Eddie, Eddie Jones. I, I, on the majority of things I do. But anyway, um, let's move on to Newcastle's win uh, over table-topping Exeter, 28-20. Um, Newcastle have bought well. They play a good style of rugby. Mm. And it's a difficult place to play up there whenever you play. Mm-hmm. Um, how much credit do they deserve for this season? I think they deserve a huge amount of credit. I watched them uh, in a couple of games earlier in the season when they were firing well. It's like you pointed out, they've got a really good brand. They've got some very big, um, some some key individuals in there that bring this tempo game that they want to play. Uh, I think their, mo- their their statement of intent was also that uh, the decision they made to have the all-weather pitch. Mm. I think because obviously uh, the amount of times I was playing uh, up at Newcastle and as soon as the weather gets into the pitch, it's miserable and it's horrible. Whereas... On that all-weather field, you ha- it almost reduces that that muddy ball, that mm. boggy pitch, and and uh, and I think you've got to say that that almost helps their brand, but that they're allowing their brand of rugby to um, to take advantage of having the all-weather field, and and uh, and you know that 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 score on the weekend it did surprise me because I didn't think they'd win 
by an eight-pointer, but I thought it was going to be quite tight. And against all expectation, when you know the man, and certainly the way he used to play and the team he used to play, mm. Dean Richards has been responsible for setting the tone for this particular style. But people forget he was also the person who started the Harlequins offloading style before you know the rest of the league did that. And when Quinns actually won the mm. title, it was because they'd got comfortable with that game first. People have now caught up. But yeah. um, that sort of vision, you wouldn't necessarily associate with, with, with the man. No, and also um, Dean Ryan was another guy that when he was when he was coaching um, people. I remember when he first came into Gloucester, and I thought, goodness me, we signed Dean Ryan, who was known the way he played the game was very physical and direct, confrontational, and it wasn't exactly the most creative um, of, of being, if you wanted to call it that. But but when he actually coached us, he loved it. You know, he he liked you doing the simple things well, but he encouraged this wide play if you could yeah. this three pod game so he's another guy that actually now that you mentioned Dean Richards Dean Ryan's also similar you can almost be caught off guard for, for thinking that they're going to be coaching the way they played um, but but also the other man up there Dave Walder yeah. you know it's, let's not get away from the fact that he'll be doing a lot of the attacking stuff with the with the group uh, certainly with the backs and it sounds like he's doing a little bit more with the, with the squad as a whole mm-hmm. uh, you've got to have the players to do that which is what they have but they've also got the mindset, the attitude and the ambition to want to play good running rugby. My memory, one of my memories of Dean Ryan, when he had his first cap in Argentina, we played away, um, all of a sudden, at the back of a rook, which happened quite often, Wade Dooley was, we could say stamping on the one hand, or you could say rooking, depending <laughs> on your point of view, um, the something out of a pair of shorts which happened to be white but every but Argentina had white shorts and so did England and after a few of these uh, rakes you heard this plaintive sort of cry from Dean Ryan Wade Wade this is me at the bottom here and he got up and he was sh- all his shorts were shredded and all the rake marks over him and was said, Wade said oh sorry Dean um, that's international rugby for you. Well, that was uh, I'm when, afraid. Well, that was when you sharpened the blade, sharpened the studs back then. I don't think people wear studs anymore. It's rubber, <laughs> rubber soles. <laughs> okay, let's just um, have because we've got uh, Matt coming up, so we can chat uh, with him. Um, Sail Sharks narrow win over Quinns. Uh, didn't seem they were going to do it, but the big talking point now. This Joe Marler off again, uh, and although. It was borderline, you, you know, the, the, there was enough there for the referee to make a decision. From my point of view, um, when you're starting to get a reputation, and the um, especially when the Six Nations is coming up, mm. you just don't do this sort of thing. Because players, um, your view, players almost invariably know where they go, what they do with their hands and feet, whether or not um, it's going to be legal, they're in, you're in, in control of what you do. And if you simply try to wrap your arms around, you can still hit with your shoulder. I, it, it's, it's, I wonder what goes through players' heads sometimes. Probably nothing is the answer. I, yeah, it's, it's interesting you make that point about Marler. I think the, the thing that I find almost a bit frustrating, really, when you watch is that he's almost getting a label now that he can be a bit of a liability. Um, he's got to be aware of that. His coaches will make him aware of it. He's He's been in front of a few panels probably in his in his career already he's got to know that he can't do anything that's 50 50 that, that that you know yes there might be a discussion of 
well, you know, should it have been a card or shouldn't it? But he's almost got to have that implanted into his mind now. It doesn't mean he doesn't play physical and on the edge. Everyone wants him to do that, which mm. is what he's what he's been selected for England and his club for, obviously. But he's also got to know that, actually, is this going to be dodgy if, when I go through with this? You just can't do it. Mm. You know, back I was about to say a back-in-the-day comment, like using the, you know, you're talking about raking and using the boot. Um, you could probably get away with it more then, but you can't get away with anything now. No. And and he's just running the, the risk there of missing key games for his club and, and, more importantly, his country. Yeah, and this has a knock-on effect because into the well we're, we're sort of into the run up for the World Cup there's a lot of competition mm-hmm. at loose head someone comes in plays particularly well could easily find himself you know not one of the two uh, starter and uh, and reserves so you know, that that's also I mean you, you, it can't be at the forefront of your mind when you go on the field but it's a, it's a sort of default setting isn't it before it, you, you go I think it has to be I think you know we talked um, previously about the captain Dylan Hartley and you know he's had certain he's had several occasions where he's been in trouble and we it almost feels like a similar type of conversation that just don't put yourself in the position for it to happen you can't afford to anymore um you're then becoming a liability to the rest of the group and the coach if there's a 50 50 decision between do i pick this one player or another player that doesn't get sent off all the time you've got to go with the one that doesn't because yeah. because you can't run the risk of, of of having a player in the semi semi-final of the world cup for example suddenly off the pitch for half an hour well, we haven't discussed the uh, Worcester Bath game, but I'm pleased to say we can do that in the company of the former Bath and England fullback, Matt Perry. Hello, Matt. Hi, Brian. How are you? Uh, I'm okay. Last time you came on, you gave what I thought was one of the best um, deconstructions of uh, the Bath club I've heard in, in modern times. So let's hope you can repeat that. So no pressure. Um, they've ended a run of three consecutive defeats it was a, a decent win but yet the inconsistencies have still been there from last time we spoke do you think things have improved or not um to an extent they have i think there's uh if you look at the bar team that the talent is there i think what's got bar through so far this season is individual brilliance at, at different times so Rocco de Guinea start of the season he kind of won the game against uh, Saracens you know Leicester they, that, those games were created by certain players stepping up at the right time you know you've got great halfbacks Preeson or Freddie Burns you've got Joseph Watson steps in at times Francois Lowe's been great on the ball and you've got Zach Mercer the young Zach Mercer and a great front row which is getting right. recognition so you've got a good team We've seen individual brilliance, but for me, it's just, you know, the Toulon game was a big game. It was massive for the team to win at the rec. Um, a lot of euphoria. Boys were, you know, incredibly happy about that. But then to drop off the week after and to effectively get stuffed by sale just shows the inconsistency in kind of mentality to back up games and the strategy that the team played against uh, Wasps well, they just did not compete at the breakdown for 30 minutes. Shows there's a, a sort of lack of experience, lack of leadership, um, stepping at the right time, saying this isn't working, let's change it on, on the pitch and take ownership. Yeah. So I think, you know, the, the club are where they should be at the moment. Um, I think they should be performing at a higher level, but I think it's a leadership thing. Um, to what extent do you think... young talent coming through. Sorry, to what extent do you think Todd Blackhead has to take some responsibility for that, or is it mainly the players? Well, a lot 
of, and this goes back not just in the professional era, but it's a trust thing between yeah. players and coaches. Um, you know, the coach has to look his player in the eye and uh, it's good coaching is releasing the potential in, the, in not only individuals getting them motivated, but it's about team dynamic. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the can is held by Todd. Um, and whether those messages are the right ones or, or how much debate there is around, you know, what what the team's going to do at certain times is uh, is really important. But if you had a premiership, there's so much intense pressure on director rugby, you know, now and it's such a long season. So there's going to be periods during the season where things don't go your way. Um, but that for me, it comes back to culture. It comes back to where working. Um, if you were to ask the players, you know, for example, in Exeter, what is the culture of Exeter? They could probably name the top three values. Um, mm -hmm. At Bath, would you say, across the board, that you know the team really understand the framework, um, the systems, the way of working that is going to ultimately back you up and win you games consistently? Pazza, hi, it's James here. Hey James, how you doing? I'm good, mate. And you? Yeah, very good, thanks. Um, to and to you, I couldn't help but mention while we had you on the uh, England back three. How do you see that? Because there's so much discussion about, you know, would you give Watson a go? Would you stick with Brown? Does Alex Goo get a name at, uh, you know, an opportunity at the back there? How, what's your back three look like, mate? Well, I, I've always been a big fan of Mike Brown. I think he's he's done a, a brilliant job for England over the years. You know, stability of the back and, he, you know, his positional sense and all that kind of good stuff. I just noticed over the last year, couple of years, you know, when you start losing your pace in that in that full-back position, you can start taking too much on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's, you know, I think he's 32 now by the World Cup, he'll be 34. When you start losing the pace, you start, you know, you start trying to become more physical and he is a very physical man. And he will over the game line, but I just think Watson in that position. Um, so much of the game now, and it does go in cycles, doesn't it? You know, you need a defensive fullback for a certain period because the game kind of moves that way, whether it's down to the laws, etc. But now the game is based a lot on counter attack. I think Watson, the thing for me, Watson, you know, has consistently performed well um, when he plays fullback, but his pace, he can get into certain positions that he's always getting over the game line and I think he can develop which is exciting for me when he gets past the game line whether it gets past the first defender almost like Jason Robinson then he gets into this kind of um, area of the pitch where the defence starts converging on him he can then start changing mixing his game up by offloading mm -hmm. the ball out before he gets into that next sort of contact situation and I just don't see that from Brown at the moment but you know it's so I would like to see Watson at fullback. It's not a biased thing from, from Bath because I think Mike Brown is a brilliant technical fullback. But I just, you know, just when you start losing that pace, uh, it's, it's, um, it's not an easy place to be. Well, it's interesting because uh, earlier on, um, uh, James and I were talking about uh, Alex Gooden saying, you know, never been particularly quick, uh, certainly not robust, but yet very intelligent. Uh, and in terms yeah. of seeing where the space is, drawing the right lines, putting players away outside him, yeah. you know, and that sort of thing, you know, he does that. And, and you know, Saturday's game against Wasp was a perfect example. Yeah. Um, I, I can you have you any idea why he doesn't seem to feature in in the national setup now at all? Uh, that's a really, a really good question. Um, 
what I like about Good is that he is a footballer. Mm. So his spatial awareness and his kind of intuition, he's kind of in that sort of fly half fullback mold. The angles he runs, the wits he comes from, uh, stands him apart from Brian also. Um, and what he does, although he's not, you know, out and out quick, whenever he gets the ball, he always puts more pace on it, mm-hmm. whether it's through his handling ability to his wingers or he steps in at certain areas or he hits the blind from different angles. Um, that's what differentiates him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think, you know, if you're going to pick fullbacks at the moment, you've got Watson's out and out pit and you've got good ability to create space and, and build pace um, from his angles of running. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, Mike Brown's the incumbent and, you know, he's got the experience and whether it's his leadership or his tenacity or his his fight, you know, the breakdown, he's probably, you know, he, he uh, you know, supersedes the likes of Watson and, and Good. So it just depends what Eddie Jones is looking for. But you do have two players there um, who who understand space. Yeah. And I think Good's probably the best in England at the moment at that. Watson's the best at getting in behind the game line. Uh-huh. But Brian is, is, the, uh, is the man with a shirt. Yeah, and um, he's really let England down. Matt, I tell you, we'll leave it on this thought, shall we? How the game has changed when you're talking about a fullback's ability at the breakdown. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the modern yeah. game. <laughs> Mate, that's great. Well, it's, um, Go on. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, you know, a, a fullback now has had to almost have the skills of a back row. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I was playing, started, what, 20 plus years ago, a fullback could get away with uh, sort of bridging the ball and there'll be a, a delay of a couple of seconds <laughs> and, uh, and then you try and get out of the way or nothing um, or nothing if you're in bowl sure he wouldn't even get involved or, at all or not get in the way whereas now you know it's it's so important as, for a fullback you know when you're into that contact area from the back um, you can't afford to get uh, isolated you know if you think about the tackle now it's yeah. a three man tackle one low one high one on the ball yeah um, so the space has just been cut down and the days where you, you could take the ball from the back and you could look at where the fat boys were and you could go, the, you know, there would always be a separation between 1 yeah. to, to 15 because there would be players who, now from 1 to 15, you look up, everyone's in a line, defensive line as one. So the fitness levels have just changed the nature of which a fullback um, has, to, uh, has to be physically robust, you know, in the contact area. Well, Matt, we won't have long to wait until we find out what Eddie Jones uh, does decide with his back three, but uh, thanks very much. Uh, tremendous once again. Cheers, Brian. Take care. Thank you. Cheers, Simbad. Take Cheers, care. Time now to switch our attention to the Guinness Pro 14, and I'm very pleased to say we can speak to the former Leinster prop, Mike Ross. Hello, Mike. Hi, Brian. How are things? Uh, they're not bad, thank you. Um... Glasgow topping one pool, Scarlet's topping the other, but Munster and Leicester in second place in both. And over the weekend, Leinster routed Ulster. Was that um, surprising? I suppose not particularly, uh, really, because Ulster haven't been in a great vein of form at the moment, whereas Leinster seem to have been winning every game they play, really. So, I was, well, that being said, I expected them to win, but I wasn't expecting them to win so well. Yeah. Um, you can give them a, a more ground eye view of this, but from this side of the water, Stuart Lancaster seems to be getting nothing but praise. How would you assess his 
development as a, a coach and his contribution at uh, Leinster? I think he's a great coach. Um, I suppose things didn't really go as well. Look, I grow his way in, in uh, England with the World Cup and, you know, a very public fall from grace, but he came over to us. Um, he hit the ground running and everything he's brought on board, we, we, we've, we've found really good. Um, he's really brought on our unstructured game a lot, uh, certainly when I was there, and I, you can see the evolution of it further this year. And he, he works the players hard, but everyone, you know, players love him. The 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 Pro 14, it seemed to be a bit of a cliche now, people saying um, that the the Premiership, you know, is, is stronger than the Pro 14. But my view is that whilst in the Pro 14 there may be games which are, are easier than the uh, commensurate games in the um, Premiership, certainly the top sides are definitely the equal of the Premiership sides and the top sides in the top 14. Yeah, I've, I've played in both competitions, mm-hmm. so I, I, think, I think the thing about the Premiership is every game matters, mm-hmm. so to speak, I mean, because it's relegation, you know, so you can't really you can't really rest players for certain games, you can't really take that risk, you know, and so it kind of makes it hard to develop players as well to a certain extent, because you know, if, if, if you lose a game and you get relegated, well, that's a huge hit to your bottom line as a club, whereas I think maybe in the Pro 12, you have a bit more license to experiment because if you lose a game, it's, you know, it's not the end of the world. You're not going to lose your jobs over it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike, it's James here. Hi, James. Um, just a quick one, just to continue on that, that point you were making a second ago. Last weekend, you thumped Ulster. Is there any type of... Uh, with with Europe being just around the corner, is is that in people's mindsets at all? Do you, do, is, and also, is the squads picked... Would you almost rest a couple of guys with Europe in mind, or, or is it literally one week at a time? Doesn't matter that Europe, Europe's around the corner. I think it depends. Often, like we, when I was in Atlanta, we'd use Interpros almost as a really good warm up for the European games. You know, if you, if you look at how the, the the season is structured, often Leinster play Munster the week before we we go into the two European games, and I think both both sides found it really useful because when you're playing each other it's you know you know derby games they become mm. almost international intensity at times and you know if you wanted to see where you're at going into a game there's no better barometer yeah well less Leinster and Munster not almost definitely through from the pool stages in Europe um, have either side got realistic expectations of lifting the trophy this year I think so I mean uh, speak, speaking my Leinster hat on when I was around the squad last year I, I thought I could smell another Heineken Cup or sorry European Cup in the offing because um, I'd been around squads that that had won it before so I, I kind of started to recognize yeah, I know what this, this, this looks like but I think the fact that they they're like some of the members of the squad haven't experienced the sharp end of European competition before and so they lost against Claremont but now that experience has that's I stood to them now and they have that experience they know what the business end of the, the European competition is like um, Munster uh, I, I, I fancy them to go quite far I think um, if they, when they're on form and especially at home they're a really tough proposition for any side and 
they've, they've, they've got some re- you know some top quality players in, in peak form like Theo Manny's playing really well CJ Standard's really well I think Conor Murray's probably one of the best nines in the world right now so you know, I think on their day they, they, they certainly have a great chance and how's um, how's retirement treating you, Mike? How's the body feeling? Are you creaking in the mornings, or are you in relative one one piece? Uh, it's not about a bit like a house settling out, you know. I <laughs> suppose you know, your, you know yourself. You kind of first six months, you're just kind of readjusting to not getting hit and smacked around the place anymore. But um, I tell you what, this much lads, I enjoyed my first Christmas in about twelve years. So. Uh, mm didn't have any games no training so I could take some proper time off and catch up with friends which I hadn't been able to do in a long time so just a question of making sure the suits still fit now <laughs> well I don't know if you caught this possibly you didn't but Nick DeLuca was talking to BBC Scotland and saying that uh, he believed that uh, players needed uh, more help on the uh, mental health aspect of of the game and certainly around around retirement now I know that the RPA are, are keen on this is there anything in place uh, in Ireland and Scotland that, that's similar to help try and get players through what is actually you know, a very difficult process? Yeah, I suppose um, I've had experience of that myself the last six months because you, know, you go from a very structured environment where everything's done for you and you know, you know where to be and what to do. And mm. you know, let's not forget that playing rugby is pretty cool as well. You know? So um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a great job. You it know? beats and being a lawyer, isn't it? I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the only problem is you have to retire at some stage and now, now what are you? I mean, you, you were a rugby player and now, now what do you do? What's, what, what, what's, what's your next step? Yeah. So yeah, we, the Irish Rugby Players Association has have um, you know certainly and so I joined really made leaps and bounds in addressing this and there's a lot of support out there they launched a campaign there last year called Tackle Your Feelings mm-hmm. um, which is all about mental health but it is still a bit of a shock to the system whereas you know one one week you're part of a massive team environment and next week it's good luck see you later mm-hmm. so but I suppose I, I could come to terms with that because I saw it coming and I was able to adjust but for a young guy maybe who gets a career ending injury that could be really difficult well I mean one thing you can do is now celebrate and uh, I'm sure did you have a good Christmas and New Year? an excellent Christmas and New Year how about <laughs> yourself Brian? it was okay but I've got little twins so it was a <laughs> bit different for me um, Mike <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's do. great to speak to you mate uh, look after yourself and come back and speak to us again Will do, thanks. Thanks Thank you. Mike. James, the, the comments of uh, Nick DeLuca and then just Mike uh, Ross just then, uh, your experience of retirement, uh, I remember speaking to you before uh, when you were about to retire and you were very open and honest and said you had some some concerns. Yeah, and it was very interesting to hear Mike bring up um, being able to retire off his own decision. I think that was the thing that he was saying helped him along a little bit more, whereas when you're coming back from an injury all you're thinking of all the time is I'm definitely going to be fit I'm going to be fit and then to be told that's it you're done you're not getting to stop on your own accord and I think that was the thing that I found very tough um, but it's also very interesting he's 37 or 38 I think, yeah, I think yeah. and he's had a long he's had a very good good go at it and he's finishing and his body's okay uh, but it's interesting he's still talking about the mental the mental side of things you know he's gone from I think that's what I always thought is you have this structure in your life you know 8.30, have your protein shake, then you're on to your analysis, then your breakfast, then your training. And I think it was so set out and regimented for us that we just abide by the laws because that's what you did. You yeah. know, you're part of, of, of being disciplined. 
to then suddenly have a switch and it's like, right, you now need to plan your own day. You need to plan your own calendar. Um, what am I going to do with myself? And, and he's clearly openly um, said there that that's the thing that he's been struggling with. And I must admit, when I went into work after, when I found a job to do, I embraced that type of discipline and structure again. Mm. Well, interesting that he gave the uh, title of the you know Irish initiative and it, it included the word feelings because mm. it's, I mean, rugby is a game, you have to be tough physically and mentally to play at the top level and you have to shut things out, uh, doubts and so on, to play at that level that doesn't work when you finish that's mm. the feelings of the things you need to get in touch with and without being too touchy-feely so to <laughs> speak and with psychobabble the fact is do you think rugby is changing in the sense that these things are no longer taboo to speak of uh, for players I really do. I think I think it's very good that people are, are talking very openly and honestly, rather than um, what traditionally might just keep it all bottled up inside. And Duncan Bell didn't he was yeah, very forthright exactly. about the problems he'd had. And he came out. He came out, uh, and he was very. Uh, it's almost like not not being ashamed of having these feelings. Mm. And it doesn't mean you're soft. Doesn't mean you're mentally soft. I I would talk to players that that had to retire, um, similar to myself, like Alex Brown, um, Trevor Woodman, guys that had career enders. And I got a lot of reassurance that the emotions I was going through were normal. I think where I'd have been more concerned was if these lads had have said to me something like, oh, look, Simba, I don't know what you're thinking. You need to go and talk to someone. Yeah. That would have prompted me to need that extra help. Whereas well, I, I quite enjoyed talking to yeah. those guys to, to reassure me that what I was going through was normal. Well, I've always thought, even if it was to this small extent, this would be a big leap forward in, in, in lots of sports. Mm. If you published you know, some form of... Um, paper pamphlet or whatever <clears throat> and with, they were anonymous mm. quotes or representations and you said look these are the sorts of descriptions we've got from past players of your caliber yeah and you know very good players and surprisingly you know well-known household mm. names mm. and if you have any of these just at least know that other people have had them before and other people will have them after so that you get what you said you don't think god i'm the only one everyone else has coped what's wrong with me yeah you know um and because if you don't have that reassurance then you're less likely to come forward as well because you think well people will think uh, i'm inadequate and they, and that this is you know is aberrant and abnormal absolutely and the easiest thing is, is is like we said before keeping your mouth shut trying to get on with your life but actually that's when it will start to affect other areas of your life because you're bottling this thing up inside whereas at least if you do get that reassurance that that your emotions are true and they are um, they are normal and if they're not normal then that's when you need more advanced <laughs> yes, help yes. that's the thing that it's not to ignore there's not a right answer you know the, the main thing is though just discussing it it doesn't mean going into big classes and whatever else but it's just getting it out there and, and I think that the awareness of it now is really advanced from where it was Time now to speak once again to Nigel Owens, uh, one of the, well, if not the top international rugby referee. Um, we had a question from uh, one of the listeners. Uh, it was relative to football, saying, you know, they're going to use the video ref for the first time. Concerns about how long it takes to use and the extent to which uh, it is used, and many people referring to rugby and other sports. Would you like to see any changes with regard to uh, how, when, and where, and so on the um, match officials, television match officials are used? Yeah, yeah. I suppose the, the the short and honest answer to that, Ray, would be would be yes, because um, I think first of all, 
Let's remember what we all want. Everybody involved in, in the game, the stakeholders, the pundits, the spectators, the teams, the coaches, the players, the officials, everybody wants the correct outcomes, the correct decisions, and the team that should win the game wins the game. Um, and there's no mistakes or something missed by the officials which has caused a different outcome to the game by, by a mistake. So that's what we all want. And what technology has done, it's allowed us to look at things which would have been impossible for us to see with a human eye first time and get the decision correct. So that's what technology was brought in for. And I felt that that worked well when we were in the original protocol of in the act of scoring. Mm-hmm. So you could only check in the act of scoring, did the ball touch the line, was his foot in touch as he was going over to score the try. So everything pretty much on the try line or in the act of getting to the try line. So anything sort of three, four metres away from the goal line would not count as the act of scoring. So that's what was the original protocol was for. Then that changed. Then it became, you can go back two phases for a knock-on or a forward pass if a try is scored. And you can go back any amount of phases until the beginning of that play for foul play. So that's what's changed. And the question that I've always asked people is this. We seem to be talking and discussing more controversial decisions now with the way we were in the TMO than we were when it was at the original protocol. So for me, the way it was before was the best way of, of, of using it, uh, in my own view. Um, could we have adapted it slightly, maybe, and just use it for a foul play where TMO really thinks, right, this is foul play, this is a red card offence which officials are missed and we need to deal with this, then, yes, maybe that could be added on to part of the protocol. So, yes, I think we need to be better at using what we got, and I would also like to see maybe it reduced a bit of when and how we can use it, I think. That's my own personal view of it. Uh, because the qualifying uh, part and phrase, which was supposed to, I believe, take uh, some account of that, was the clear and obvious, wasn't it? Um, um, That's what we referee on, you we, we referee, the, the way, when, you, when you go out in that field... You referee the clear and obvious. That's the way that most of us referees go out there, right? Anything that's clear and obvious. Anything that people are sitting down or when you watch yourself, you're thinking, blinking, heck, how the hell did the officials miss that? Well, that's the clear and obvious for some reason they have, they have missed. So that, that's the way we referee. We, get, we don't get the decisions where me and you can debate, well, I think it was a penalty, well, I think it wasn't, he thinks it does, he thinks it wasn't. That, those are not the ones, the clear and obvious we need to get. That's the way we referee, and I agree with you then, this is the way we should be using the TMO, the protocol, is the TMO comes in only when it is 100% or as close as it can be, clear and obvious that this is a penalty or this is a yellow card or a red card offence which for some reason the officials haven't seen on the field Well I'll tell you what is clear and obvious um, when it is introduced into football it will cause one hell of a row and so we will see Nigel, it will, that, it will. <laughs> it will. Nigel thank because you very much, take care Pleasure Brian, all the best James would you go I mean I agree with Nigel, I would go back to what it was frankly um, and then everyone knows if it happens before someone misses it that's just tough but we all know what it is save a lot of time uh, the caveat he did say about foul play I would also restrict to this I think you should be able to do um, go back at any point for that but <clears throat> it has got to be a, for a cardable offence at least a yellow 
and I you could arguably make it out for red, but then that's what sighting officers are for as well. So, what's your view? Um, well, my view first and foremost is that every time Nigel talks, really, I'm, I respect n- nearly everything he says. I think he he speaks so much sense all the time. So, I would not be against that if if that's what they opted to do and it got to that. I wouldn't be an unhappy. Um, you know, punter sat at home watching, and I'd be quite content with that. I do like what they've done recently, which is more um, allowing play to continue while talking about it, rather mm. than blowing the whistle straight that away and, and going right, stop, let's go TMO. Oh no, that was fine. So it's now your ball scrum. Uh, I quite like the way the play's rolling on. It's just check that with you while we're still going, and then it'll suddenly be they'll flag it up and bring it back. That for me makes perfect sense. Um, the, the, the way they're doing it, rather than stop starting the whole game. Um, is it being overused for me now? But even with that, what you're getting is you're getting a lot of intermediate plays being assessed, albeit on the run, mm. um, not involved necessarily in the act of scoring. And whilst you can say, um, yeah, it's good because they are keeping the game flowing, if something is found mm. that wouldn't be included in the act of scoring, you are interrupting the game. All right, you you are getting a decision possibly right but I, I I just feel we've got to the stage now where because things are getting more uh, technical and more cameras and mm. better angles and so on that we're in danger of overdoing this yeah I think I think that with the, with any of these things there's got to be a balance and there'll always be a, d- a disagreement about what that is definitely agree on checking foul play I think if there's something that is a you know if it's a Someone's punched someone completely off the ball, whatever it might be. Really nasty play. I think you check that. I wouldn't be coming. I wouldn't be having TMOs firing all the time, going, "Oh, just hold the play a second. I think I've got a possible forward pass." You know, that's another extreme of how it might be, uh, because I think you you do need to have that balance. If there's something that's terribly foul and it's picked up upstairs and they call it down, check it. Yeah. But but you you've you've got to get to the point where you're not checking everything all the time. Yeah. Now it's time to turn to the women's game and I'm very pleased to say we can speak to the Wasps ladies coach Giselle Mather on how the Premier 15s are going. Hello Giselle. Hello Brian. Giselle, we're pretty much into the season now. It's the first season of this format. What's gone well and what's not gone well from your point of view? Um, I think it's been a, a tremendous change. Um, you can just tell by the, the flavour, so to speak, of every game, um, the, the run into it and the uh, reporting of them afterwards. Um, the physicality of the games has gone up considerably. The skill level um, and the general professionalism of, mm-hmm. of how it's all running um, has made significant difference. And anything that you wish had been there to start with or you'd like to see uh, change the following season? Um, yes, in terms of the development 15s that sit um, in support of the Premier side, um, it's uh, when, you, when you set up a new tournament and you put in the numbers to, um, to support the first team, they, they need regular fixtures. Mm-hmm. And at the moment, the fixture programme for the development 15 needs to be enhanced, but everybody's aware of that, and that's a, a typical thing for the beginning of, of, of a new structure. Yeah, the, I mean, you've got a fairly stark divide between what traditional sides have been very strong, Saracens have always been strong, Wasps and so on, um, and Quinns this particular year. But then, you know, poor old Worcester, Valkyries and Furwood, Waterloo to a certain extent have been, um, 
you know, have been have had difficult times. Is there anything that the game can do to try and even up that, or is it just a question of uh, natural evolution? Um, I, I, th- I think there's both, and I think the RFU are really helping um, Worcester and, and uh, Forward Waterloo. But then Forward Waterloo are, uh, came up from perhaps the biggest deficit last, last from, from the Premiership before. But they, they have come incredibly close to several sides to actually winning. And I think for them, it's a question of, of the belief system coming into the athletes that they've got that actually, um, if they can close out a game, they'll win it. I think where Worcester's concerned, um, they uh, they've played this weekend and gave 17 debuts to to new players this weekend alone. Um, they are a side that this this week were average age of 20 years of age, and because this the Tyrrell Premier 15 is is ring fenced for three years, that team are going to be feared in three years' time if they stay together. Yes, it's tough for them at the moment, but if those young players travel together, learn together. They're under an experienced coach of Roy Davis who took Bristol last year to the last women's old premiership final. Um, and if they can dig in and learn from every game and see, see the positives as opposed to the negatives, they're going to be an incredibly strong side in three years' time. Well, uh, your side was in third and you've got three London teams, uh, Sarries, Quinns and then Was. What's happened to Richmond this year? Um, again, Richmond had um, a very hard season um, a couple of seasons ago when um, the majority or a lot of their players went across to, to Quinns, um, but they're rebuilding as well. Um, and with, with new structures, new systems, things take time. Um, they have a strong base of, of, of 60 good players um, and again are bringing on a lot of youth in their development, 15. And you know, at the moment, yes, they're struggling, but I do think again with the three years they'll be able to cement those that are in there and attract more players and um, and build with the three years and having that that ring fence of no relegation for that length of time does give you three years to build to build a, a performance environment um, and as we all know they those do take time it's not it's not built overnight so that's what's happening there and and they're doing a good job of it and just finally as you say, how long will it take do you think before we see the uh, benefits for the national team from this from this tournament. That's an interesting question because I, I think you can already see the benefits now um, in that the the current side that was named for the training camp that's just taken place um, last weekend had a a, a much broader. Uh, depth of, of players in the sense from all the clubs yeah. only forward Waterloo isn't represented at the moment um, and players are coming from right across the premiership that therefore means that week in week out those players are having um, bigger decisions to make it's not like um, in the past maybe where two sides held most of the players and therefore you only got real competition for those players in one or two games a season. Now it's happening week in, week out. So the decision-making time that they have, um, the line speed that comes at them, the ability and the physicality that they're meeting week on week will be cementing that speed that they have to make the decisions when they come up against the French, the Canadians, the the All Blacks. Um, And that is, again, an evolutionary process that week in, week out, those players will be getting better and better and better. And when they come up, hopefully, in the Six Nations, we will see that that, that come out when they play the likes of Ireland and Wales and and Scotland and Italy. Well, Giselle, um, thank you very much for coming on the... uh 
podcast. Good luck with the rest of the season and come back and speak to us uh, towards the end and we'll see how you've been getting on. Thank you very much. We'd love to. Thank you. Before we go, we've just got time to look forward to the uh, Champions Cup, which is uh, coming up. Now, Bath and Scarlet's big game. There's obviously a, a round after this, but that pool is probably the most open. 13-13-12, Bath, Toulon, uh, Scarlet's. How do you see that going? Well, it was interesting um, hearing Pezza talking earlier about, about Bath and their relying on individuals, uh, individual brilliance to get them through certain situations and, and uh, certain matches. And I, I watched them a little bit this season. I think it's just a lack of consistency that we've seen from Bath. And that'll be the frustrating thing for them. Yeah. They can go out there against a Worcester and completely wipe the floor with them away from home in what, in what should be a trappy fixture. But then they can look so poor another week. And I think that that lack of consistency, and again, it's what Gloucester were like last season, um, that's something that's frustrated Bath fans. So... Um, dare I say it's about which which bath side's going to turn up the really clinical one or the one that can be uh, that can show a little bit more vulnerability well Quinns uh, Wasps Quinns can't go through Wasps do still have um, a chance but you've got Ulster and um, well one of the form teams and mm. one of the great teams to watch at the moment uh, La Rochelle can, yep. can Wasps they're going to struggle, struggle aren't they massive ask isn't it I think for me you, you just touched it then La Rochelle what a side they are. Who'd have thought that Ryan Lamb would be uh, brought into that team to give him a bit of stability, yes. um, which apparently is what he's doing. But, but fair play, he's getting game time and he's playing well on the side. For me, they look very, very dangerous. Uh, Leicester, not beyond uh, poss- the possibility of going through, but it's going to be very difficult for them. Mm. Uh, let's look at uh, well, two things. Exeter, they are on nine points. Montpellier, 13. Leinster, 18. They've struggled um, a little bit and they've got Montpellier at home next. I, I, for me, you know, Exeter have done so well in terms of how they've developed. Uh, they just need a little bit more subtlety, in my opinion. The way in which they keep the ball in the Premiership has been exemplary. The way in which they're able to recycle the ball, the patience they show. But one of the problems when you step up in the leagues whereas in the premiership you eventually do wear sides down because they just don't get back in position or players are tired or the organisation isn't there in, in the top echelons of Europe it is there and I just feel the need to find a way to carry the ball better get the ball over the gain line quicker yeah and, and you know you're looking at their game this weekend as you mentioned at home against Montpellier the French traditionally and I'm sorry to say traditionally because even in the modern day don't seem to travel as well as as say the English you know the English sides and the Irish will generally travel better in my opinion um, you know just re- going off subject a second you know you've got Claremont get beat by about 50 points I think the other day against Racing mm. you know again it's away from home that Claremont side in Europe look a, a totally different animal uh, if Montpellier aren't really playing for too much it could be a different different um, story can X to get through for me simply I think it's a big big ask to be mm-hmm. honest uh, and finally Saracens now <clears throat> double uh, two time champions struggled recently with their run of losses unprecedented in modern times and yet they look very good against uh, Wasps and yeah. you've got Ospreys above them by only two points and then Clermont down at 18 now it's the the sort of side and squad where you wouldn't put it past them to have a scruffy uh, wins in the pool, scrape through, and then actually go on to latter stages and possibly defend the the crown. Yeah, I've even heard a couple of people saying they were going to have a little daft bet on them winning um, winning Europe and winning the Premiership. Um, 
they, they looked so good the other day with key individuals back and the way they were playing. I'd actually be more surprised if they don't make it through mm. um, through the pool because they just when when they're firing like they were the other day that was the Saris of it's not calling them the Saris of old because that is what Saris are mm. and they just wipe the floor with wasps away from home mm. and I just think that I don't see how they're not going to have a performance similar to that again on the weekend and if they do that they're going to they're going to win that and they'll win the following week and go through just I just saying you know Vunipola is one of the few players who on his own can create your momentum that all the, the, the yards after the, the, the contact yeah. you know, everything's simple after that first game back from injury <laughs> mental isn't it for a big lump to find yeah. form so quick yeah. well unfortunately that's all we've got time for you've been listening to Brian Moore's Full Contact in association with The Telegraph thank you to my co-host James Simpson Daniel and producer Abby Patterson remember Please subscribe to the podcast because, after all, it's completely free and that way you'll never miss an episode. We'll be back next week, but for now, goodbye. Brian Moore's Full Contact is just one part of the Telegraph Sport podcast family, as you can also subscribe and download Total Football. Join Tom Gibbs and a host of Telegraph football reporters as they aim to take you behind the football stories of the weekend. Your Monday morning commutes will be instantly better for it. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.